answer any questions you may have. You also notice that as you head out, if you didn't receive this on the way in, there's a little brochure about our church and the different ministries that we have going on here, uh, different things that you can get involved in, a little bit about who we are. So you want to be sure that you grab one of those and fill out a connection card. Uh, right after service, there's an offering box right at the back, so you can drop it right in the offering box, and that's how we can get that. And on the back, of course, we have a prayer request. We're praying over these every Thursday night. We're believing God together with you. We're praying bold prayers, believing uh, for the things that you're asking us to pray for. And so I want to uh, you know, encourage you to continue sending those prayer requests. You can even join us on Thursdays at 7 for that prayer time. Uh, we'll be getting around 10 or 12 lately, but that's been a good thing. You know, we're just, just gathering together and praying over these things. But we're seeing the answers to prayer, which is even, even more important, right? It's actually a great thing. We're seeing fruit from those prayers. So I encourage you to do that. On the back, you can also want it to be private, so it's just leadership only, or if it's okay to go out to the whole church and we'll, we'll be praying over that with you. <coughs> also, I just want to remind uh, those who are anchor students, our middle school and high school ministry, that we will be meeting this Thursday at 7 p.m. We're doing every second and fourth Thursday, so if you want to be a part of that while prayer is going on, uh, it's an important part of life, especially at this season of life, when there's so much going on in our world, and uh, we want to be able to, to uh, take some time to gather together know one another and also uh, be disciples in God's word. I think it's important and critical these days that our students be disciples in God's word and know how to live it out, learn how to live it out. I also want to give a computer update. Uh, we've been updating you as a need for a computer that we have here in our office. Right now we have $650 donated, which equals $1,300 uh, with the match. So if you would like to continue to give a little bit toward that, that would be great. Just put on the offering envelope and give it. know what to do with that. Uh, let us know, and every little bit helps, so don't think you're not giving enough. You know, it all adds up, and uh, we'd like to be able to replace it on this computer. We're just getting slower and slower, and it doesn't stop printing money. So um, if you could help us with that, and be willing to donate towards that, that would be great. And then I also have just a, a letter from Children's Cove. Uh, many of you who know we have a store called Hope Restored. Actually, there's a luncheon today if you're interested in being involved in it. But in our Hope Restored store, we take in items that have been donated. You know, a lot of it's home decor, small furniture, things like that. We have to clean them up. Sometimes we put paint to them. Sometimes we do different things and fix them, repair them a little bit, so that we sell it. And all the profits that we've made from that goes right back out to different community organizations. And we're, uh, you know, we've been able to give almost, I'd say close to 7,000 so far this year. Last year we gave up just under 10. And so we're hoping to continue that this next year. And church of you know, our size. We've seen God doing some great work. Last uh, organization we gave to was a children's program. They worked with children who have been uh, children and teens, actually, who have been either physically or sexually abused. And this is the, the letter that they sent to us. It says, Dear Pastor Sloth, every day we make choices that matter. Even small choices have the potential to impact our world in large ways. We usually underestimate how those small choices will impact our lives around us. Every dollar donated makes a difference in the life of a child victim and family servant in this world. On behalf of the staff and board of Children's Hope, I would like to express our sincere gratitude to you and to the members of Heritage Christian Church for your very generous donation of $1,680.30. Over the past 25 years, Children's Hope has provided services to thousands of children and families who have experienced sexual abuse, physical abuse, witnessed to domestic violence, and or sexual your support, Children's Hope will continue with our commitment to provide the pastor children and child victims and their families that we serve. 
how we're serving our community. So when we talk about our Hope Restored store, those are the kinds of things that we're giving to to help those that really can't help themselves on them. And now the scripture teaches us to do. And so I uh, just wanted to also encourage you, if you uh, would like to get involved in Hope Restored, you want to hear a little bit more. There will be a luncheon right after service out here in the hallway. And you'll hear a little bit more about what we're doing. And maybe you can see how you can participate. There's several ways. I mean, one is you can help um, be physically in the store, just like a three-hour shift, you know, a week. We're only open for three days a week. Um, or you can also be somebody who uh, has furniture or things that you'd like to donate and give towards what we're doing there. And the third way is maybe you're somebody who likes to, uh, I don't know, like, you like to paint things. <laughs> you like to sand things. You like to maybe do a little bit of work with your hands. And maybe it's a hobby for you. That's another way that you can help serve. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that today and see that there's, there's fruit coming from that. We're seeing, um, we have to really give to a lot of different organizations and we are grateful for them. Because we are for our community. This morning, you might be coming in on this series, but this is life's biggest questions. And we've been talking about this for the last several weeks, and if you're just joining us, we are seeing how these ancient scriptures in the book of Psalms engages some of our most pressing questions that we have today. The first week, we talked about how, or can I be happy? That's the first question. The second week was, is something wrong with me? Week three was, will life ever Week three, I'll let that get better. And then this week, like week four, is does God have a purpose in my life? Does God have a purpose in my life? I want you to think about this question very, I guess, personally. You know, not does God have a purpose for the world, but does God have a purpose for me? Does God have a purpose specifically for you and for your life? And if he does, how can you know what that purpose is? Now, finding your purpose is very important because there are a few things in life. That's important. It's finding your purpose. When you understand your purpose, you can put up with all kinds of inconvenience and pain because of it. I have to see this in ministry with people who really felt led or called to do a particular ministry. And often they, they sacrifice because God called them to do it. And so the things that they need to do for that ministry seem They really sense that that's God's purpose, that God's using you, that God's working through you. For an example, let's say your boss asks you to come in on a Saturday morning to open a stack of 10,000 envelopes and sort through the contents. No overtime pay, just weekend work. You'd probably be resentful, and that would probably feel like the worst weekend ever, right? But if he or she just told you that in one of those letters, there's a $100,000 bonus check for you, and you needed to find it. <laughs> Open, opening each of those envelopes suddenly would be like ripping open Wonka bars. Just one at a time, over and over, just trying to find that check, right? It's the same job, it's the same tedious job, but the difference is your sense of purpose. Before, you didn't sense any purpose. But once that $100,000 bonus check was uh, brought up, now there's some real purpose. See, knowing God has a purpose for you transforms how you see everything in your life. It transforms the things that you look at. It transforms the things that you do. 
transforms with the things that the way that you see your blessings, it transforms how you participate in the struggles that you go through. So how can we discover, and how can you discover God's purpose for your life? We're going to open our Bibles, if you have one, to Psalms chapter 57. It's also going to be on the screen behind you. Maybe you have a Bible app you prefer to look in. And we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Now I want you to notice that there's a little note. If you have your Bible open, you're going to notice this note. You're not going to see it up here on the screen. But in that little note, it says, To the choir master, to the tune of Do Not Destroy. As opposed to the song my high school football team used to listen to before games by a band of Metallica that was Seek and Destroy. This one is Do Not Destroy. Maybe it's more like a Taylor Swift song like Shake It Off or something. Do not destroy. It goes on to say, this is a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So when he wrote this, this is important context. When David wrote this particular song, he was in hiding. David wrote this song while he was hiding from King Saul. You might remember that King Saul was the one who found out that David was anointed to be the next king, and he wasn't too happy about it. Happy about those other guys being the king because why he's the king. And so he chased David out of the country, and now he has several thousand soldiers looking for one man, for one person. Now I want you to see that everything had gone wrong for David when he wrote this. As we talked about last week, David was living in Psalm 88 for sure, where everything was wrong, and it didn't seem like any possible solution. So Psalm chapter 57, we're going to read verses 1 to 11. It says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful for, to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God, the Most High. To God, who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. Anybody ever been there? I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He is lifted up above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Notice the contrast. All that's going wrong, and in the middle of that, be exalted in God. Verse 6. They set a, a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Awake, my glory. Awake, all harp and mirror. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, and your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Now, this is an interesting song, because in spite of all the things that was going wrong in David's life, 
Despite having people hunting him down, he was on every wanted poster at that time. Not one time does he ask God to change the situation. The only thing he asks throughout the Psalms is God, glorify your name in this situation. Glorify your name in my situation. And he never says, Lord, if you would just vindicate my name, I don't deserve this. Lord, fix it. At least, God, give me some nicer accommodations. In this case, it's a dump. Or maybe give Saul hemorrhoids so that he feels uncomfortable on his horse. And he'll go home. <laughs> David may want all of those things, but he perceives that something bigger is happening. That there's a bigger story that he's not seeing. So rather than asking for anything, he prays twice. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory fill all of the earth. And David has this incredible confidence that God will answer his prayer. Right? We see in verse 2, he says, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. We need to walk in that kind of confidence. The God who will fulfill his purpose for me. This morning, I want to give you three things from this psalm that you can learn about your purpose. The first one is this, that God has a purpose for you, but it is not about you. God has a purpose for you, but it is not about you. You can see this when David says, God, may you be exalted above the heavens and let your glory fill all the earth. Even more important than David's desire to be rescued is his desire for God to be glorified. See, the ultimate purpose of your life the ultimate purpose of my life is not about me. And it's not about you. This is a hard thing for people to get sometimes because the ultimate center of all that happens on earth is the glory of God. Why did God create the earth? Psalm 19 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Ezekiel 36, 22-23 says, Thus says the Lord God, it is for the sake of my holy name that I am about to act. The nations will know that I am the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 6 that God chose to save us to put on a display of his glorious grace. David says the reason God continues to work in his life is for the Psalm 23, 3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So what is the ultimate purpose that God has for us in life? His ultimate purpose is very simple, to bring Him glory. That's why He created us. That's why He saved us. Paul would tell us that everything we do, whether we eat or drink, do it for the Say, well, wait, well, that seems pretty self centered of God. Let me give you an analogy this morning. In order for life on Earth to work, the Earth, as we know, has to rotate around the Sun. Now, if the Sun was a person and it loved the Earth, it would insist that it remain the center of the Earth's orbit. It has to be there. Why? Because we know that. For the earth ever to lose the sun, 
our center of the leading circle galaxy, right on the edge. It's interesting, whether, whether the Earth were too far from the sun, or just a little bit further from the sun, or whether it was closer to the sun, it would mean certain depth of our universe. Isn't it interesting how precise God was in his placement of the Earth? And that's how we are with God. If God wants us to have these things, he'll insist that our lives center around him, that he is the sun, he is the one that becomes the center that we rotate around so that we can continue to be sustained, so that we can continue to have life. And the reason this is so hard for us to get is that we are born into a life with a completely backwards mentality. Let me walk you through just a little history of mankind. Now, with the tip of his finger, or technically you could say by his word, God flung the continents and the galaxies into place. Here they are. By his word, there it was. He made the stars and the clouds and the mountaintops and seas and the atom and the cell. And now after everything else had been created, God created a man to share his glory, a person. And now this creation was special because God designed this part of his creation And then God then made a painting. If you think of all this creation as a painting that he had been working on, he gave his paintbrush to man and said, you paint the center. You paint the man. Why? Because he knows what every one of us know. That if we love our person freely, why should we? He wanted his creation to be centered on him. And he took the brush we took that brush, you know what became the center of that creation? Not God. We self-love. We love ourselves. We became the center of the universe. I want to be the boss. I want to be the center. And that's called sin. The I problem. And every child born in the world since then arrives with that problem, right? Thinking about their needs and their will. Two words I never had to teach my children, no and mine. <laughs> Pretty natural. <clears throat> never had to send my children to rebellion camp. I hope three weeks away that's all. <laughs> never had to stay after school because they needed to learn more selfishness. Oh, they get those things naturally. From their mom, of course. Not really, it's all me. Just to make sure I said that clearly. Did you hear that? Everybody heard that, right? So our default setting in life is self-centered. When you look at a picture, what's the first thing that you look at? If you have a picture that you're in, what's the first thing you look at? Yourself. And make sure your eyes aren't closed, your mouth gaping wide open, or some kind of silliness. Even in our faith, we can be selfish. Let me summarize some of our prayer lives. It's something like this. God, help me get this. Stop and smite her. Make everyone behave the way that I want them to. Like me. Hey, God, are you listening? I'm the one in the center. Take care of me. 
And when he doesn't, we get angry. Think about this. The problem is, nobody's getting angry. It's about my glory and my happiness. I, I need to be happy. You want me to be happy, right? Maybe when you give, you expect God to make it worthwhile. So when you drop your offering in the offering box on the way out this morning, you might be like, <clears throat> just see what I put in? I put in $600 to buy Donna's computer. <laughs> now you better bless me. creation hijacks the rest of creation and makes it all about them. Governments during Jesus' time, there's a very simple answer. Rome, you know what they would do? They went in and they would crush you. When the Jews dared rebel against the Romans, the Romans came down and they strung thousands of men and women on crosses. Tore down their walls, they built triumphal arcs to Titus to celebrate his victory. What did Jesus do? When you look at Jesus. Jesus is When he set up an ark of triumph in heaven and had angels sing a song about how quickly he did away with us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So how did God suddenly react when we tried to take away his glory for ourselves? What he did was something that we would never do. He came to earth, he took the form of a servant, and he died for our sins in our place. When he arrived on the earth, he never played the God card. God said, you came in here on a vision. You shoved me to the side. You rebelled against me. And so here's what I will do. I'll show you. And he mounted his war horse and he left heaven 
and as he traveled to the earth, he started to heal him. He laid aside his glory, and angels were confused, thinking, what in the world is he doing? And then he was born in a stable, took the form of a servant, and died at the hands of traitors and enemies. As a sacrifice for their sins, so that we can share his glory. See, his glory is not selfish. It was a giving, sharing, his glory was not a selfish glory that crushed us when we rebelled. It was a glory where he sacrificed himself. He laid himself on the altar in our place. And how can we, who experience God, not rise in forgiveness? If you've experienced God's forgiveness and his grace and his healing and his provision, how can we not give him glory? How can we not praise his name? This whole thing, as David is going through all this stuff, this whole thing, David realizes it's not about me. It's about giving glory to God. He'll never understand your purpose until you understand that. You might say, well, something is missing. You may be at a place where you want God back into your life. Maybe you're getting back to church. Or you realize something has been missing. And maybe you maybe you just have kids and a lot of times that brings people. But I want to keep you from is the same mistake that many people make, and that's they just kind of add a little God into their life. A little side of God rather than giving him your life. Maybe you think you need him to make you happy, you need him to have a good family, you need him to keep you from hell. So you don't come to God to make him a part of your life. You wake up and you realize that you. Need to have a Copernican revolution of the soul. And Jesus didn't come to be a perfect planet in your solar system. He came to be the center of the solar system. Number two, God has a purpose for you, and it's mostly about what he is doing through you. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. He is more interested in making you holy than happy. Notice how many times in verse 1 David talks about his soul finding refuge in God. Verse 1 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for you in my soul, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. See, David's refuge was not in the cave that he was hiding in. It wasn't in the soldiers that he had around him because Saul had many more soldiers. It was not in the fact that he could hit, a, hit the center of a bullseye a giant with his slingshot. His refuge was not in the fact that he was innocent. No, because over and over again, he's crying to God for mercy. His refuge was in God's steadfast love and grace. That's where he ran into. That was his refuge. That's where he slept. See, God's purpose in all this was to teach David to make his presence his refuge. And that's his purpose for you and me too. God has no needs, so what we do for him is nearly not as important as who we become in him. So sometimes God takes away our places of refuge to teach us that they aren't permanent. He takes away our places of refuge to show us they're not permanent. Like David, he drives you from your country to the Ark of the Savior and puts you in the wilderness so that you'll learn to find your home security in the 
Maybe your refuge is just a, having a person that you can go to for help. Maybe it's a best friend that you cling to, or maybe it's something that you use to dull the pain in your heart. We all know what that does in the refuge. Sometimes he takes away our refuge so that he becomes our refuge. See, God has a purpose for you, and it's about what he's doing. God is more interested in your and once you get that, some of what God is doing in your life will make more sense. You'll see that maybe there's God's allowing certain things so that you're not relying on these other things, but you're relying on Him instead. Number three, God has a purpose for you, and if you are surrendered to it, He will fulfill it. Other parts of Scripture say He will see it through to completion. David says in verse two, God will fulfill His purpose for me. Fulfill means to complete. David makes the same statement in Psalm 138, 8, where he says, God will fulfill his purpose for me, and then he adds, he will not forsake the work of his hands. See, God is a perfectionist when it comes to his plan and his will, when it comes to his purpose and his plan in our lives. And we will not let anything get in the way. He will not let anything get in the way of what he is doing. For David, this means God will save him from the wicked plans of others. In verses 3 and 6, he talks about, you overrule their plans. They fall in the pit. That, you, that they've got for me. And he also saves us from our own dumb decisions. How many are thankful for that? No one ever in this room, I'm sure, ever made a dumb decision. <laughs> but that's why David calls out for mercy. I've done some dumb things, but Lord, I'm crying out for your mercy in my life. Mercy implies that David recognizes that he has made mistakes. He's not going to think back about how I got to where I am in life and the path that has been filled with a lot of dumb mistakes along the way. Sometimes simple mistakes along the way. And sometimes just completely random decisions where we make wrong ones. Sometimes we make right ones. And what's really great about that is that when you're in Christ and you surrender to God's purposes, He has a way of leading Irony is only when you say, I don't want to be the center of the universe, that God begins to reorder everything in your life. And he begins to fulfill his purpose. <laughs> Make yourself the center of the universe. I love the King James Version when it talks about Paul, he's not like his donkey. It says you're kicking against the goats. That's in a sense what you do. I'm trying to follow all Romans 8.28 is one that we're all pretty familiar with, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not for all those who just love themselves. Those who love God. Again, the irony. If you love yourself most, you want everything to work out for you, 
If you love God and make him the center, he weaves all these things together to captivate you. Even the hard things, even the dumb decisions, he is with you. He does it for those who are far from the good things. What is that verse? What is that verse in that? It's found in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. God's will for our lives is to be conformed to the image of the Son. His purpose is not to comfort, not comfort, but care for you. Not temporary happiness, but permanence. And God always finishes what he starts. He will see it through. So we can be confident, Paul says in Philippians 1.6, that he, that he Begun a good work in us. He's begun a good work in you. Know that God is still working in you. And that He will complete it. When you surrender to God's purpose, the power of that promise becomes a refuge. When things begin to go wrong, you, you fall back on that promise. You fall back on He's weaving things together. You fall back that He's going to work everything for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Continue to fall back on that, and that's the promise he gave those who believe. God has a purpose for you. He wants you to exalt his name in the earth. He wants to teach you, and he wants you to trust him. In your situation right now, I want you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It is okay to pray for God to change your situation. Perhaps you may consider adapting your prayer and say, Lord, would you correct my major weakness? Would you bring it to your major weakness? And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, Students, what is your primary objective in college or school? Good grades, social circle. Those are good things. Nothing wrong with that. But the one objective that must be the most important of all is bringing God's glory to your campus. To discover what God has called you to do in life and to use your students for the How's God going to use that for his glory? Catholic, what is your objective? Is it to bring glory to yourself? Or is it to bring glory to God? You're a business professional. Are you leveraging your talents and resources to bring God's glory? Or to pursue your mechanic? Is your prayer about how God can make your business work for you? Or how will you use it to glorify his name in the world? The success of any life is measured solely by whether it is the Christian life is simple. Receiving God's glorious gift is a free gift. It's not a free gift. In the gospel it says that God created you for himself to love you and to share himself with you. And he loves you even after you reject him. And not the end. And he gave himself for you. So that Romans passage right there. 
they were stiff curtains. I don't know. I remember they were white. Anyway, she decided she was going to wash them and wash the sheets, you know, whatever. What she didn't realize was that that blood did not wash out the washing machine. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> That's so funny. That's funny. But I always remember that. My